3: Learn more at slash papertarian. This is the Greg Peterson
0: experience. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. On VSIN,
4: the Sports Betting Network.
5: It is our number three of the Greg Peterson experience right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Big thanks to Jason Weingarten for joining me in studio for the last two segments. Does amazing work over there at the Wide World of Weingarten. He came out here to lovely Las Vegas, and I'm sure that he wanted getting some great futures tickets. We talked about that in the last segment. And if you miss anything, Beaston.com slash podcast. we have got you guys all covered there with every single hour of not just this show, but if you like follow the money, a numbers game, big bets, list goes on and on. We've got you covered with all of them, and we've got you covered This hour with a little bit of everything as well as Raheem Palmer does a great job at the ringer. He is going to be joining me to talk a little bit about what we wound up seeing in week one of the NFL. Turn it forward to anything that he likes in week two and got to ask him about his outlook on the NFC East. I know that he was heavily invested with the Philadelphia Eagles. Got to like what wound up happening in week one because you've got the Dallas Cowboys who certainly... Well, they're not in good shape right now, and I'm not very bullish on the Washington Commanders or the New York Giants, so we're going to be talking about that with Raheem in about 15 or so minutes, but here, first things first, got it on a little bit of baseball we've got a lot of good NFL action to take a look forward to for week two, but before then, we've got baseball to be able to make money on, so let's dive in, and we've hit on a few nationally games, so... Let's go to the American League side of things. This is 967, 968 on the betting board. It is the Cleveland Guardians. They are on the road, or they're at home, I should say. And it is against the LA Angels as Jose Suarez is going to be getting the start for the Angels. And Cody Morris goes for the Guardians. Guardians, favorites of between minus 135 and minus 137, between plus 115 and plus 125 is the number on the Angels. And total on this game is eight with the Guardians been fascinating to look at this offense because they have the fewest home runs per game at home of any team in baseball. This includes the Detroit Tigers who have been a pretty deplorable offense, but with the Guardians, they just do a really good job of moving the line. Jose Ramirez has been the main manager for the team. Over 100 RBI, 26 home runs, and then a pair of other guys, Andres Jimenez and Josh Naylor between 16 and 17 home runs apiece for them with Naylor hitting about 265, but I mentioned Ramirez. You're able to throw in there Jimenez, Oscar Gonzalez, Steven Kwan, Amit Rosario, all hitting at least a 275, going up against someone in Jose Suarez who's been doing a solid job of being able to get some strikeouts. About nine strikeouts per nine innings, but with Jose Suarez, despite him being a little bit better recently in a starting role, he's always been able to do his best work of the bullpen. I do think that making that transition from being a long reliever slash a general bullpen piece to being a starter, it is something to take a look at because when Suarez was coming out of the bullpen, his career ERA about a 370, 375. So nothing too great, nothing too terrible as a starter for his career. It winds up hiking up by nearly a full two points. And this season, it's a little bit of a smaller sample size as a reliever, but at a buck thirty five ERA as a reliever, 397 ERA as a starter. So something to take a little bit of note of. He's been able to do a better job of being able to keep the ball in the yard this season as well. Right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. That compares to his career averages of right around 1.5. So has been able to shape up in that regard, and 3.2 walks per nine innings, nothing great, nothing terrible, but with the LA Angels, you've got a relatively young bullpen that they've been hitting some bumps in the road, I think is the nicest way to be able to put it. Guys like Jose, Quijada, Andrew Wands, they've been able to post up a sub for ERA. Aaron Luke, Brian Tavera, just not what the team was expecting coming into the season that has put them a little bit behind the eight ball, and Russell Iglesias got traded at the deadline to the Atlanta Braves, so that does not wind up helping. Meanwhile, you look at the flip side, what you're going to be able to get out of this Cleveland Guardians bullpen. Since the all break, number one in bullpen ERA, James Jack, Emmanuel A, the best eighth and ninth inning duo right now in all baseball, in my opinion. They have been lights out. But on top of that, you've got Steven, Trevor Steven throw in there, Nick Sandlin, Aniel De Los Santos, three guys posting up a sub-three ERA sub. So. They've been able to do a solid job, and you're going to need that bullpen to step up because Cody Morris, in the minor leagues this season, did not throw more than 61 pitches. He has made two starts as far this season. He's won a total of six innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Two runs surrendered in six innings. Very small sample size. Someone at the minor league level was able to get some strikeouts. Just, he's coming off of, I believe, injury, if I remember correctly. Not a guy that is used to going deep into games. game, so he's probably going to throw three, maybe four innings. This is not a circumstance where you can expect him to go five, six innings. This is going to be, I always like to call them opener pluses, where you know that you're probably going to get at least two innings out of them, but you're going to get less than five. So Cody Morris, he falls under the umbrella of an opener plus, but with the Angels, very top-heavy lineup. And Mike Trout has a home run in seven straight games. I believe that he's the first right-handed bat to wind up having a home run in seven straight games. That's Kevin Mench. I saw that on ESPN, and it's crazy that, for one, it's Kevin Mench that wound up having a home run in seven straight games. Former Milwaukee Brewers, not so great, but that is something you don't see very often, and he's on absolute fire. As he showed, Otani put 32-plus home runs. These two guys have been able to hit above a 260. And then you've got Luis Ranifo, Taylor Ward, top towards the top of the fold when David Fletcher is out there as he's been a little bit banged up. Also, in between 265 to 275. But then you get down to the bottom of the fold, and some of these guys are just deplorable, like Max Stacy, Kurt Suzuki, Andrew Velasquez, Joe Adele. Just a whole bunch of guys hitting below a 225. Meanwhile, for the Guardians, you've got a little bit more balance. I like this bullpen a tad bit better. And even though Cody Morris, probably not going to be able to lend a ton of length in this circumstance. I do think that the Guardians are going to do a good job of being able to go death by a million because on Jose Suarez. I do think that it's going to be a little bit of our scoring game, especially with the way that Trout has just been pounding the deep ball. So this is a circumstance where I'm going to be taking a look at the over semi-total a bit north of eight. And with the Guardians, I was willing to lay up to a minus 138. Wouldn't want to go too much past 135, but willing to lay the 135. And when it comes to a rather sizable underdog that we're seeing on the board, How about if we dive into 969, 970 on the board? It is the Detroit Tigers. They're going to be playing us to the Houston Astros as Drew Hutchinson is getting the start for the Tigers. And Hunter Brown goes for the Astros. And the Astros are sizable favorites. Anywhere between minus 205 and minus 215. And between plus 180 and plus 195 is the number on the Detroit Tigers. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. Money's coming in on the Houston Astros with the total in between 8.5 and, and 8. Mostly seeing 8s on Las Vegas, more of the East Coast books are offering the eight and, a half, and I would rather have an 8.5 under rather than an 8 over, but this is going to be a circumstance where it's about how it winds up shaking out in the AM. We're seeing this line go up and up and up because it's actually open up at a total of 7.5. And, and the Detroit Tigers, they did get shut out on Monday, but in four of their last six games, they haven't been able to deliver four-plus runs, so offense is starting to shake up a little bit more, as Riley Green has been able to do a good job of moving the line. Carry Carpenter, when he's been out there, has been solid. Now, you're able to run through the list of guys that have not been so great. Spencer Torkelson, Jameer Candelario, Akeel Badu, Tucker Barnard, Jonathan Scope, all these guys hitting at 220 or lower. It's been not great with the Detroit Tigers who are dead last in the league in terms of runs per game scored, especially out there in the American League, but this is just career start number two for Hunter Brown, and Hunter Brown dazzled in his first start. Six scoreless innings, did a nice job, not allowing a lot of walks, and that's in comparison to his minor league numbers, where he had a little bit over three walks per nine innings. His strikeout numbers at the minor league level, relatively solid. Someone who I think has a lot of upside, a former standout of Wayne State University. He was a fifth-round pick a few seasons ago. He's been a fast riser in the Astros farm system and has been able to do a nice job with his swing and miss stuff at the minor league level at 11.5 strikeouts per nine innings. I just fear that the walks might wind up getting to him in this ordeal, as well as at 3.8 walks per nine innings at the minor league level this season. Last season, that was more like four and a half walks per nine innings. And Drew Hutchinson, he's been able to shape up a little bit as well. For Hutchinson has actually been a tad worse at home rather than on the road, about a 360 road ERA, 440 home ERA, but he's allowing less than a home run per nine innings. For Hutchinson, he's given up three runs or fewer, and now seven out of his last eight starts after a Rough start to not just his season, but really his career. He's been able to find a little bit of a home here with the Detroit Tigers, a little bit of a journeyman. Not gonna give you a lot of strikeouts. Five point nine strikeouts per nine innings. That can be an issue against a Houston Astros team of which they are one of the best teams at not striking out. And then you've got Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, and you're able to throw in their Kyle Tucker hitting north of twenty home runs apiece. Jordan Alvarez. He's got thirty plus home runs, and good to see him I have a multi-hit game on Monday. He had a really good first half of the season with banged up here in the second half of the season. I know that there have been certain things that have popped up with him, which is not too terrific. Hopefully, he's able to be out there on the field and he's able to be fully healthy, but looks like he's getting that way now that he also wound up having a home run on Sunday as well. But I do think that the Tigers lend a little bit of value because despite the fact that the bullpen hasn't been the same from the beginning part of the season as. They've entered into Monday's game since August 1st, being fifth worst in terms of bullpen ERA since uh, since August 1st overall for the season. They rank right around 10th, 11th in bullpen ERA. Guys like Jose Jimenez, Jose Serrano, they've been able to do a solid job for the team. And Andrew Chafin has come in. He's been trustworthy. And for the Astros, Bullpen well, has been terrific. Brian Abreu, Ryan Stanek, sub-two ERAs. Out of both of these gentlemen, Ryan Presley is still a relatively solid closer. Got off to a little bit of a rough start. He's been able to kick things up recently as well, but I don't want to be banking on Hunter Brown and start number two of his career, playing this big of a number. Now, I would need at least a plus 190 to take a shot on the Detroit Tigers. Many books did not wind up opening this at a plus 190 where I sit here at Circa. They've got the best number at a plus 195. So things are getting better and better. And if you are trying to reduce the juice a little bit on the Astros and look at the run line, this is going up as well. Open up at a minus 120. This is now as low as a minus 125 at DraftKings. I'm seeing this get up to a minus 135. And even on like a plus 115 run line, I don't think that you're necessarily getting the worst value there. We'll probably want Closer to a plus 120, which I do think that it's going to get there when it's all said and done, but with the way that this line is moving, I'm going to be taking a look at a Detroit Tigers plus price and set my total at an 8.2 here with all the numbers out in Las Vegas. I'm currently seeing eights. We'll be looking at an eight over personally, and if we do wind up getting up to an eight and a half towards the AM, that would be a rather dramatic line move to the total. I will be starting to take a look at an under at that spot as well, but Coming up next, we've got to take a look at Week Two in the NFL. Brian Palmer does great work with the Ringer and a hey man that does a great job taking a look at the NFC East. We're going to be diving into that on the flip side right here on the Greg Peterson Experience on Veasan, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back. This segment of the Greg Peterson Experience is brought to you by Zen 18 Pouches. Zen 18 Pouches are a fresher and simpler way to enjoy nicotine that has helped millions of people achieve lasting success by offering a smoke-free and spit-free satisfaction. Zen understands that there isn't one right time to make change. Everyone's journey is a little bit different. Everyone's on their own timeline, but when you feel like you're ready to take that first step forward towards change, Zen is going to be there for you. Check out Zinn 18 Pouches at Zinn.com. That is ZYN.com morning. this is a product that today nicotine. nicotine. it is an addictive chemical. As we're back here on the Greg Peterson Experience on v Great to have Raheem Palmer aboard. He does a great work over at the Ringer. And I know that he joined me in studio a few weeks ago. And Raheem, it is always great to have you aboard,
4: my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always an honor. You know, just, you know we had a, an amazing week one of the NFL season. We almost swept the board, except for the Eagles. You know, they blew that 17-point oh. lead the fourth quarter. But besides that, I mean, we're rolling right now. Four and one in the circuit contest. We're hitting our totals. Everything's going well.
5: That is good. And for the circuit contest as well, I wound up having the Eagles as well. So I feel in your pain and Hey, let's start right there because I know that you came into the season with quite a few futures in the NFC East. And shall I say so far, so good for you.
4: Yeah, very good. I mean, when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, my (laughs) Dallas Cowboys, I mean, we went under 10 and a half wins. And you could pretty much lock that up and, and take that cash to the bank right now. You'll have you'll have a nice Christmas bonus <laughs> if you can, if you trail me on that because Dak Prescott got hurt. And then obviously, I mean, with Tyron Smith out, they were already fighting an uphill battle. But without Dak, Dak Prescott, you're really in trouble. And then when you look at my other future, the New York Giants. I took the New York Giants at plus 10 to 1 to win the NFC East. I also po- took them at plus 225 to make the playoffs. And we got a pretty good start. I mean, I know they look rough in that first half against the Titans, but when I look at the rest of this division, I don't think anybody's going to quite run away from this. I mean, when you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, obviously they are the favorite to win a division at minus 150, but I wasn't that impressed with them. To me, look, they gave up so many yards on the ground. I mean, they gave up, (laughs) what did they give? 181 yards rushing to the Detroit Lions. DeAndre Swift got whatever he wants, 6.5 yards per carry. So to me, I think there's some real issues with this defense. Um, their defensive coordinator right now, it, it appears that there's some real schema issues. I mean, we saw last year, when they play elite quarterbacks, they got passed all over. When they played Dak, when they played Derek Carr, when they played Patrick Mahomes, when they played Justin Herbert, they got passed on. And next week, they're going to be playing the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that's a spot where they could really struggle based on what good quarterbacks have done today.
5: And I think that betters agree because we saw it overnight where the Eagles in a lot of spots, they were right around a three point favorite. This has come down in a lot of places. I'm seeing more of a one and a half point line. And I think that that's the appropriate move because they were pretty much saying on the open of three that on a neutral field, this would be a pick'em game. And I felt like the Vikings, they deserve a little bit of a leg up. I thought that the Packers were going to struggle in week one. I wound up taking the Vikings myself when it came to the Circuit Millions contest. That wanted coming through, and the Vikings actually flipped from an underdog to a favorite when kickoff occurred, but I take a look at this Vikings team. Very impressed by them, and in an NFC where a lot of the favorites coming into the season wound up falling short in week one, the Vikings, they really rose up, and I think they can make some noise in this conference as a whole.
4: Yeah, I, I truly believe it. I mean, I think the one thing that was holding him back was the offensive philosophy of Mike Zimmer. And now that changes when you bring in Kevin O'Connell. I mean, like you heard, you, you pretty much heard them say it. Like Justin Jefferson, he said it before the season. I understand why Cooper Cup was getting open so much. And you saw it in that first game. So you you have an offensive philosophy, philosophy that makes sense and is actually modern. And I think the Minnesota Vikings can, you know, they can do some damage. Honestly, I think they're a team who, like, when you look at the NFC, it's just like they're one of the teams that I feel like can possibly come out of the NFC. Because to me, the NFC is looking weak. I mean, look at the NFC West. I mean, that's not a very strong division that we saw in years past. The NFC East, anybody can come out of it. To me, the Vikings are probably one of the better teams at this point. And then obviously, when you look at the Green Bay Packers, they lose Devontae Adams they just don't have the they don't have the pieces that they had before. So I'm really hot on this Vikings team.
5: I agree with you on the Packers, which is why I did think that coming into the season there was a little bit of value on the Vikings to win the division and we've seen it from the Green Bay Packers in the past. Typically when you're able to knock off the Packers, it's going to come earlier in the season. We remember what happened week 1 where there was that calamity against the New Orleans Saints but with the Packers I feel like it's a little bit different this year because they don't have Devonta Adams. I think you could still hang your hat on very good defensive play from the Green Bay Packers, but I think it might wind up taking them a little bit longer to get things going
4: this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, it's just, look, they're laying nine and a half, ten points next week. And I'm, I'm skeptical how they can cover that number, even against a bad Bears team. Now, obviously, the Bears, I mean, they could be a little bit overvalued coming into this matchup in a game where they probably shouldn't have beat the 49ers. I mean, they were out game, but it's just, to me, it's like, you know, you're looking at a low total next week of 43. I mean, that total's come down from 45. You're asking a lot for this Packers offense with no receivers to cover that big number. So, I mean, I think you're going to have some sharp guys on the Packers, saying that's an aberration, but me personally, I'm going to stay away from it. And Raheem, you bring
5: up something that I noticed for week two. The NFC teams that struggled, They're all laying north of a touchdown coming into Week 2. You mentioned the Packers. Right now, 10-point favorites against the Chicago Bears, 49ers. They're the lowest of the three that I'm mentioning right now. They're an 8.5-point favorite against the Seattle Seahawks. And the Rams, they're laying 10.5 against the Falcons. And I think that the Falcons are going to stink this season, but they looked relatively solid against the New Orleans Saints, just were unable to finish the deal. But out of those three teams, is there any one of those that you're jazzed up to be able to lay the north of touchdown with them because
4: I don't feel good about any of those three. I, I think, I mean, look, to me, I think the 49ers are, are the most interesting. I mean, because we saw what happened with the Seahawks tonight. I mean, look, the Broncos should have won that game by multiple touchdowns. I mean, they outgained them by almost 200 yards, almost two yards per play, almost two yards per pass, and they were 0 for 4 in the red zone with, with multiple turnovers at the one. So to me, they I mean, they only punted once. So to me, I think if the 49ers can just—I mean, obviously they were in a, a bad weather spot—they should be able to, I mean, win this game against the Seahawks. To me, who wasn't—I mean, they weren't really that impressive. I just think they played a Broncos team that was a little rusty, wasn't really necessarily prepared with the new head coach. Then when, I think when you look at the Rams game, the Rams game is really interesting because I think one of the big issues that they had last week against the Buffalo Bills is that they couldn't block that Bills pass rush. Now, what's the issue with the, the the Falcons? Falcons don't have a pass rush. I mean, for them to be up double digits against the New Orleans Saints, typically a lot of times when you're up double digits, and you you can just kind of just rush the passer, and you'll be able to get away with the win. And the Falcons aren't able to do that because they just don't have a pass rush. I think I read a stat the other day when you look at teams who were up 14 points the last like in the history of the NFL, they're like 250 and three, and <laughs> you look at the Falcons, they're actually five and three. So, <laughs> I mean, you lo- you're looking at a team who can't hold on to leads because they don't have a pass rush. So I think that the Rams should be much better this week. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to lay the, the 10 points, but I can see, you know, where a lot of sharp batters should be able to come in. Probably pick that off. And say, you know, that, that, that performance said more about the Bills than the Rams.
5: I agree. And I think that that is so important when it comes to week one because there are some teams that won. I'm looking at you, the Pittsburgh Steelers, that I'm still not necessarily impressed with. Meanwhile, the Rams that are lost, yeah, it was not a great look. You can't upgrade the Rams after losing week one like that. But at the same time, I feel like you can also wind up upgrading a team like the Buffalo Bills, even though they were very, very highly thought of to begin with. And at the same time, not necessarily downgrade a team with a loss and just with how you wind up evaluating things from week one, how do you go about this? Because I think that one of the most difficult things is finding how to properly rate a team. And when it comes to these overreactions, they're just sad. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of people that they wind up sticking way too much in week one. And I think that it's all about little adjustments unless if you're the Dallas Cowboys and you leave, lose your quarterback and you're just done.
4: Um, I, I, th- I think you kind of got to look at things on a case-by-case basis. I mean, I mean you have certain games to where you, you know it's an aberration. Look at the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, they have five turnovers, and, I mean, they still came close to winning that game. So, to me, that says a lot about the Steelers in terms of, you know, they really struggled to win that game despite being plus five in the turnover mark. So, obviously, I'm not going to upgrade the Steelers. I actually might downgrade them. And, I mean, so it's just like you got to kind of look at situations like that and figure out what's real, what's noise, what's an aberration, what are we likely to see again. Um, and I think you know there's a lot of that in week. So um, you know, week two is historically one of the one of the most profitable weeks for for sportsbook because people tend to overreact in week one. I mean, it's just one data point. So it's just it's just a kind of a case by case basis. What did you see um, to knock you off your priors, if anything at all?
5: I absolutely love that you bring that up because I do think that week two can yield a lot of profits because. A lot of people are looking at the best and the worst of the team when, in reality, the important part is to be able to find the middle. And we're going to try to do that next. As Raheem Palmer is going to be joining me, we're going to be taking a look at Week 2 of the NFL on the other side. on the Greg Peterson Experience on v the Sports Betting Network.
0: You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on v the Sports Betting Network.
5: Start your football season on the right foot by subscribing to VSIN Pro. Get full access to everything that we do, including our daily picks at a glance, recapping all the top plays made by VSIN show hosts and guests, 24-7 video season prep, which includes our weekly college and pro football matchup guides, covering every single game, all season long, pro tips like exclusive betting splits and pro tips. Every single hour, we give you actionable insights to up your betting game. Sign up for a discounted football special and get the VSIM Pro access for everything that we do now through the Super Bowl for only $175. Or we'll save 50% off the monthly price with an annual subscription and bet smarter all season long. Go to slash subscribe for all of your options to become a part of the Sports Bank Network. Guys, we're back here on the Greg Peterson Experience on VSIM, the Sports Bank Network being rejoined by Raheem Palmer. Does great work at the ringer, and Raheem, we were talking about it a little bit with this being a really crazy slate of action in terms of week number two. Has there been anything that you've fired in on to this point? Because I'm wrestling with a lot of these big favorites. I'm going to have a tough time laying the points at a lot of these spots, but I take a look at one team that is less than a touchdown right now in the Cleveland Browns, and right now they're the team that I look to the most just because in general, I think that this is a really good fade spot. Has there been anything that stood out to you on the Week 2 board that is just looking, in general, very juicy to you?
4: So you mentioned the Cleveland Browns. I think that game is interesting. I'm personally, I'm going to stay away from it just because I do think the Browns are laying a little bit too many points for me, but when you look at Joe Flacco, I mean, look, This guy has lost 15 out of his last 17 starts, including non-straight dating back to 2019. So as I said before, I said this on the Ringer podcast, Joe Flacco is past Larry Holmes status at this point. I think you can pretty much automatically fade him to get the loss. So um, I'm not mad at that one too much. But I think the game that actually stands out to me, I mean, you already spoke about the Minnesota Vikings earlier. That is a game that I really like. I like the Vikings win that game outright. But I do like the Miami Dolphins, plus three and a half against the Baltimore Ravens. Look, when you look at the Baltimore Ravens, to me, they were outgamed by that Jets team. And that offense is really, really rough. I mean, look, Lamar Jackson, I love him to death. I did bet him to win MVP. I am high on the Ravens. But to me, I just think they're, they're just there's just a lot missing from that offense right now. And I think they're playing a Miami Dolphins team, which really set the blueprint on how to slow down Lamar Jackson last year with that blitz and I think they're going to bring that back but now they have a better off so I'm looking at that I think that that line should be close to a pick 'em. Miami has historically struggled in Baltimore but I mean you saw what this team did to them last year so I think this is a good spot for the for the Dolphins I, I mean these are two teams I'm looking to buy this year but that's the direction I'm looking another one I find interesting is when you look at the Denver Broncos, they are laying nine and a half, 10 to the Houston Texans. And this is their this is their home opener. The Broncos and home openers have ten, have done well. I think they're they're 19 and th- No, they're 18 and 4 straight up, and 14, 4, and 4 in home openers since 2000. And a big part of that is teams tend to struggle with the thin air and mile high ha- high early season. All the altitude, and they're playing a Texans team which had to play an overtime game last week. So I think the Broncos, I mean, they're, they're on a short week, but teams having to go to altitude, This is it's kind of a bad spot for Tech. So if there's any one of those games with double-digit spreads that I'm looking toward, that's one of them potentially.
5: And I think that it's interesting that you do bring up the Broncos because I always try to zone in on home field advantages just across all sports that they mean the most and they mean the least. And I would say in the NFL A home field advantage that means more, especially now this time of year, than it does any time of year, it is the Denver Broncos at home because we notice that road teams do a little bit better as the season goes along in Denver, but I'm not sure if you take a look at home field advantages and weight them a little bit differently, but the Denver Broncos at home, when it comes to the first two months of the season, I give them a little bit more than your generic three points. Rather than when it comes to the back half of the season, teams are a little bit more used to travel and what have you. I'm not sure if you've got any adjustments that you make for home field advantage, but the Denver Broncos, among teams
4: in the NFL, they're towards the top of my list. Oh, yeah, they're definitely at the top of my list. and I I think you mentioned earlier you had the Vikings in the the Circa contest. They have one of the the, the highest home field advantages as well. So I definitely weight all of these home field advantages a lot different. Obviously, home field advantage. In the NFL, I mean, it's decreasing year over year. I mean, we're looking at almost a point and a half. But I mean, I think there's certain teams like the Green Bay Packers. To me, I, I have the Green Bay Packers as like one of the highest home field advantages in, in the NFL. Um, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, they tend to win more at home, and I, <laughs> I have my own theories on that, which I won't, which I won't mention here. But <laughs> I think you have to, you have to weigh these home foot advantages for different stadiums different and Denver de- is definitely at the top of the list, especially at the start of the season.
5: Raheem, I grew up 45 minutes away from Lambeau field. I know exactly what advantages you are talking about. So <laughs> have no fear. I know exactly what you mean by that.
4: I mean, there's a couple, there's a, there's a lot of times you're watching a game and you see a blatant hold and they just will not call it in Lambeau field. And I, I just, it's always been a theory of mine. And, you know, they kind of let the Packers get away with a little bit more at home, so.
5: (laughs) Yep, it certainly is one of those cases. I am not going to fight you on that at all, and I am in agreement with you on that one, but when it comes to just interesting games in general for Week 2, I look at the Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. Saints are a three-point home underdog against the Buccaneers, a Saints team that ever since Tom Brady got to Tampa Bay, they seem to be the team that has Tom Brady's number the most. This is one that I personally have not bet yet. I'm trying to see if we wind up getting a little bit of movement, but I think that this could be a relatively good spot for the Saints. One that, once again, I have not fired in on, but this is one that I'm going to take a little bit more of a look at because week, or the first half of week one for the Saints, really bad, but I like the way that they came on late.
4: Yeah, I really like the way they came, came on late as well. And Jameis Winston really impressed me. Obviously, they did start off slow, but I, I mean, the only thing disappointing about the Saints is that they didn't really have the pass rush that I thought that they would have. I mean, look, I mean, one of the big reasons why we all like Saints is that we thought the defense would be, I mean, dominant. And you look at the Falcons; they have 416 yards last week, so they're gonna have to be a lot better than that against Tom Brady. But I mean, we all, we all know since Tom Brady has come to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're four and one against Tom Brady, only losing postseason games. So. I wanna see where this number goes. I'm hoping the publish pushes this up and we can get a good number on the Saints. I mean, you're looking at a home dog of plus three, I mean, with the low total, that I mean, we could be in a teaser category as well. So, I mean, I think, you know, you teasing that up, crossing off key numbers of seven of three and seven, you know, you, you get yourself I mean, with nine points and you, you find yourself with those points looking really valuable um with a low total of forty four. So Hopefully the public can push this up a little bit. If we can get a three and a half on the side, I'm, I'm going to jump in.
5: Yep. If we can get a three and a half, I'm right there with you. That would certainly be a buy point at three. It might be as well, but I want to look into it a little bit more at this current number. But when it comes to totals, I know that you were spot on in week one with that Buccaneers versus Cowboys under that couldn't have been much more of an under if you tried, it could have gotten it at 25 and a half and it would have went under. So <laughs> that was A very nice, easy winner, but has there been any totals that stand out to you? Because I take a look at one that I'm liking right now, and it's already been steamed up just a tad. Chargers, Kansas City Chiefs, This started out 52.5. Right now, seeing it between 54 and 54.5, I think that there's a chance that both of these teams go out, score 28-plus points. I think that we're going to get a good old classic shootout. I like this total over. Has there been any that have stood out to you?
4: Yeah, that's what I like to call a fire drill over, where you got two explosive offensive teams. And, you know, it's kind of just a race to the window to get that over. So that's been steamed up a little bit. I think the other one that's been steamed up is that Minnesota Vikings-Eagles total. I mean, it got steamed up from about 48 to about 51 and a half. I mean, obviously 51 is key, but I think you're going to see a lot of points in that. I'm not really impressed with this Eagles defense at all. I mean, I mean, we mentioned it earlier. Jonathan Ganya, his his scheme is really problematic. I think if there's another total that I'm—, I'm I'm kind of looking at that. I, I could see. I kind of see that Giants game going under, but I haven't fired on anything yet. Um, you know, if I if I if I fire on any totals, I'll keep you guys posted on my Twitter account. I am Roster so you can kind of check me out over there.
5: Absolutely, and I do think that it's going to be interesting to take a look at some of these totals as well because under since the beginning of the 2021 season, actually heading at about a 54.7, 54.8% rate, depending upon your closing numbers as well. So I do think that there has been quite a bit of value there. And Raheem, there's always a lot of value. Whenever you join this show, you do amazing work. And I know you're going to be back in town relatively soon to be able to cover some fights. So always great to be able to be able to have you aboard. Thank
4: you so much. Thanks. It's always an honor. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You guys can check out my work at the Ringer Gambling Pod. We dropped the podcast today. We'll have another podcast tomorrow. And, you know, I have my top five NFL picks podcast dropping every Sunday with my contest picks. And I get some bonus totals and, and teaser legs as well. So make sure you check me out at the Ringer Gambling Podcast.
5: And Raheem does absolutely amazing work. It's great to get him on every single week here on the Greg Peterson Experience. And coming up in the final segment, we don't have any football for Tuesday. So. Got to look to some baseball. We'll be able to make some money on this Tuesday. We'll do that next right here on v Esports Bank Network.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. Because you gotta think, Love he's it. gonna guard. He don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly.
4: guard. Like you see him in the exactly. Olympics, he's gonna guard. And then on I'll top of it,
0: like that, see that,
1: ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point game. I remember you came to my room crying tears. <laughs> crying. Tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. Then he's going to withdraw us about winning.
2: Remember what I told you? I said, I said, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because it ain't me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on v
4: the sports betting network.
5: Kick off the football season with Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is your go-to sportsbook. For every line, boost, and special, lace them up for BetRivers Parlay Insurance and Touchdown Insurances offered every single Sunday all season long. Build a parlay of at least four legs, and if it loses, you get your stake back as a free bet of up to $25, and wager on any player to score the first touchdown on Sunday Night Football, and get your money back if they wind up scoring a touchdown at any time as a free bet. Head on over to to BetRivers.com. Or download the BetRivers app. It's a whole new game. This is the final segment of the Greg Peterson experience right here on Veasan, the Sports Banking Network. And a big thanks to Raheem Palmer. Does a great job over at the Ringer. He joined me the last two segments, and we do something here on Veasan where if you go VSIN Pro, you get all these tips that we give out every single day. Twenty from pretty much every single show as we give out one an hour, and you're able to separate them by sport, by show, and Raheem, he did a great job. He gave us the one that we've got for this hour. The Denver Broncos in home openers. They are 18-4 and four straight up in their last 22 against the spread in that time span. 14-4-4 four and four against the spread. I do think that taking a look at various home field, home court, what have you, advantages in terms of all sports it's something very important, and that is a very good one. So big thanks to him for giving that out, and big thanks to him for joining me the last few segments. Also, a little bit of a programming note. At 4 a.m. Pacific Time, 7 a.m. Eastern, it is going to be Follow the Money. So, if you're listening to the replay, that is going to be coming up relatively soon as Matt Eumanns is going to be joining them. For those of you guys that like college football, was a little bit thin on college football tonight, but Paul Stone, he does an amazing job handicapping the game of college football. He's going to be joining them, and Adam Chernoff as well, who does amazing work on the NFL front. So, be on the lookout for that here in the final segment we really have a lot of baseball when it comes to Tuesday, so I'm going to look to be able to make you guys some money, um, some money on this Tuesday sl- slate as we've got some very fascinating games, in my opinion, and this one stood out to me as we go to the bottom of the board, 983, 984 on the board. It is the San Diego Padres. They're facing off against the Seattle Mariners. Yu Darvish gets a start for the Padres, and for the Mariners, it is Logan Gilbert. And with the Mariners, very slight favorites. And we're between minus 108 to minus 115. And the Padres, you're going to be getting them between about a minus 102 to a minus 105. So, relatively close to pick here. Seven to seven half is your total on the seven half. Juice is on the under, on the seven. Juice is on the over. And I wound up writing up for DK Nation the Seattle Mariners money line. I made them more of a minus 140 favorite. Have been very impressed by Logan Gilbert and what he's been able to do last two starts. Both scoreless settings across those. The team has been able to win each out of his last three starts. And with you, Darvish, he's got some of the most demonstrative home and road splits that we found in the league. Just mentioned it with the Denver Broncos taking a look at them at home versus on the road. And for you, Darvish, his ERA is about 1.65 points higher when he is on the road rather than at home. A little bit north of a 4 ERA when he's on the road, about a 245 ERA at home. He hasn't necessarily given out more homers on the road. As a matter of fact, his home runs per nine rate a tad bit better when he is on the road, which is a little bit surprising because San Diego, it is very much a pitcher-friendly ballpark and it is suited to him quite well, but he just allows a bit more contact in general and opponents. Made about 65 points higher off of him when he is at home rather than on the road. Logan Gilbert actually been a little bit worse at home rather than on the road. A little bit befuddling because Seattle, that is a pitcher's park as well, especially when you get down towards the nighttime. The air is just a little bit more heavy in really all these West Coast ballparks. The ballparks in Los Angeles, Oakland, you're able to go down the line. It is a little bit tougher to be able to hit in general, but I've liked what I've seen out of the Seattle Mariners recently. 10-3 and 3 in their last 13 games, and since the beginning of the month of July, they are number one in bullpen area. So many guys posting up a sub-3 ERA. Andres Munoz, Paul Seawald, Eric Swanson. A lot of guys doing a good job of being able to excel. Diego Casio has been a little bit of an adventure, but ever since he came into the bullpen, Matt Brash has been able to do a solid job as well. And with the Padres, since the beginning of the month of July, 23rd in the league in bullpen ERA. And Josh Hader has not been able to help that. North of a nine ERA since he's come over. To the San Diego Padres, they're missing one of their biggest bullpen pieces in Navelle Crisman. I like the way that Nick Martinez has been able to throw in the bullpen, but has been trials and tribulations for them. And for the Padres, offense has been better on the road than at home just because Petco Park, it is very much pitcher-friendly, but they've been dealing with Juan Soto, dealing with a little bit of ailment and just poor play in general from Josh Bell. Josh Bell is sitting at 205 since he wanted coming over from the Washington Nationals. I believe that Juan Soto is still stuck on three home runs since he's come over. From Washington, Brandon Drury was looking good. He was really their best straight deadline acquisition until he wound up getting hit in the head by a pitch by Dustin May. It's not been seen since. you got to hope that he's going to be out there on the field relatively soon, but that has been ailing the San Diego Padres, Manny Machado. He's been doing it all season long, hitting nearly a 300. he He's been able to supply 28 home runs, so he has been solid, but it's been tough for the San Diego Padres lineup, and then got a trio of guys for the Seattle Mariners in Cal Raleigh and Eugenio Suarez and Ulio Rodriguez with at least 22 home runs. Suarez and Rodriguez, do a solid job of being able to move the line. Cal Raleigh needs to pick it up in terms of the batting average, but you also now have in the full Mitch Hanniger. Haniger was the main masher for the Seattle Mariners last season. 39 home runs hitting above 250. Has been a little bit cold this season. Wanted missing much of the season due to ailment, but they get him back. That fortifies that lineup a little bit more as well. I like the way that the Seattle Mariners have been able to perform recently and for the Padres over their last 33 games. So really, since they wound up getting all their trade deadline acquisition pieces, they're 16 and 17. Has not been going great for them, and I'm going to bank on the Seattle Mariners to continue their sort of misery. Good news for the Padres is that my home state Milwaukee Brewers have been terrible since the trade deadline. Honestly, they've been worse than the Padres since they wanted trading away Josh Hader, which that's incredible in and of itself, but a circumstance in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Mariners with the DK Nation pick and semi-total low. I do think that Yu Darvish is still going to be able to give a good performance. I just think that Logan Gilbert is going to be better Set my total at 6.8, so I'm looking at the under DK Nation write-up that is going to be favoring the Seattle Mariners. How about if we take a look at... A team that has not been scoring too many runs recently. As we go 953, 954 on the board, Miami Marlins, they play us through the Philadelphia Phillies as Bailey Falter, hoping to not live up to his name for the Philadelphia Phillies. And it is going to be Sandy Alcantara who's going to be taking the bump for the Miami Marlins. With the Marlins, you're catching them between minus 128 to minus 135 favorites, between plus 115 and plus 121 is the number on the Philadelphia Phillies. Mostly seeing sevens on the board in terms of the total with the juice on the under end. I can't disagree. You did see the Miami Marlins have an outburst of runs in game two of the doubleheader against the Texas Rangers, but with Sandy Alcantara on the mound, he's been significantly better at home rather than on the road. A little bit north of a 3.30 ERA on the road. Bucks 61 ERA at home giving up a half a home run for nine innings at home. He's been able to do a solid job all season long when he has faced the Philadelphia Phillies. The last start that he wound up having against him about a week or so ago. A little bit of an exception And for Bailey Falter. Three runs or fewer surrendered in each out of his last five starts, including one of those coming against the Miami Marlins. So he's been able to do a rock solid job for Bailey Falter. The big falter for him has been giving up nearly two home runs per nine innings, but he's facing off against the Miami Marlins team that they have scored three runs or fewer in 32 out of their last 37 games, and they don't have a single player with north of eight home runs. Garrett Cooper has eight home runs, that right now leads the team in terms of guys currently not on the injured list or designated for assignment. Just absolutely sad what we've seen. Guys like J.J. Blade A, Peyton Buttrick, Jereer Encarnacion. You're able to go down the line of guys that just do not belong on a big league roster. They're getting at pets for the Miami Marlins. and With the Marlins, guys like Uscar Bazobin and Dylan Floro, they've been solid in the bullpen. They did wind up having to utilize quite a few bullpen pieces in their double dip against the Texas Rangers, but good news is with Sandy Alcantara on the mound in over 75% of his starts, he has been able to fill at least six innings, so that should help out with the... Bullpen usage that we did wind up seeing on Monday. Flip side for the Philadelphia Phillies. Bryce Harper has not been hitting a lot of home runs since he's come off the injured list, but has been hitting nearly a 300 in this span as well. Kyle Schwarber's got 37 home runs, so he's able to supply that power. And then Reese Hoskins, 28 of his own. For Schwarber, needs to improve the batting average at sub 220, but but Reese Hoskins, who's had some demonstrative. Righty lefty splits this season. He's been able to do a solid job moving the line. I think 250. you we we've got Gene Segura who's been able to hit about a 280 for this team. Alec Bowman, he's been out there, has been relatively solid as well, and for the Philadelphia Phillies, good news for them to be able to help out on this under. Sure, Anthony Dominguez, he is back off the injured list. They're going to be without Corey Knebel most likely for the rest of the season, but he's able to team up with David Robertson, right end, both of these guys very solid in the bullpen. All these guys posting up a sub-3 ERA, Connor Brogdon, been a little bit touch and go with him but he's still been able to supply about a 3-2 ERA when you get into some of the longer guys like when he's been out there Nick Nelson that has not necessarily been too tremendous but I think that this streak of just ineptitude In terms of Miami Marlins hitting, I think that it is going to continue, but I do think that Sandy Alcantara he's going to be able to lend a relatively good start himself. He has given up three plus runs and now four out of his last seven stars, but he's been a little bit of a better pitcher at home. I was willing to lay really up to about a minus 130 with the Miami Marlins, so we're sort of at my peak in terms of what I'm willing to lay with the Miami Marlins, but. Semi-total, very low, 6.2. I'm just going to continue to bank on the Miami Marlins not coming through with that. So going to be taking a look at the under in this spot and want to lay up to about a minus 127, minus 128 with the Miami Marlins. And that will wrap things up for the Greg Peterson Experience and coming up 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. It is Follow the Money with Mitch and Pauly right here on v these Esports Betting Network.
0: Football is here. The Veasan team has what you need to know. Whether you're betting on futures, looking for contest strategy, or building your own power ratings, Veasan has everything you need. Get all the latest from our lineup of experts, and a lineup of experts, and a lineup of experts, and a lineup of experts.